Welcome to episode 21 of the Walk and Talk podcast. I'm Greg Johnson, and today is Thursday, May 21st, 2020. The topic for this episode is going to be photography and specifically how the process of being a photographer and sharing photos has changed considerably over the past five to ten years through social media, better quality cameras in smartphones, and advanced software for taking photos in the moment when you snap the shutter button and processing those photos for sharing. In the past, it was common to take some photos and have them printed at a local Photoshop or drugstore and then share the physical photographs with people. And those formats changed as people started sharing photos online. So there would be a the equivalent of a five by seven photo, either in portrait or landscape, shared on Facebook. With the rise of Instagram, the one-to-one ratio, the square photo dimensions became sort of a standard and people began framing their photos with that in mind. That one-to-one ratio of the square photo dimensions became sort of a challenge or a limitation similar to the limitations set by Twitter for a certain number of characters photographers were constrained to this format, this layout, if they were going to share their pictures using Instagram. And so a distant visual of the sun setting or mountains or something like that would not be presented as a really wide panoramic image. So photographers began responding to some constraints of social media at the same time, and sort of parallel with, with that, is the growth that was seen on the web in blogs and websites and through social media, a need for other shapes and sizes of images. So there would be a header image needed for Facebook that was... If I'm remembering correctly, it's 851 by 315 are the pixel dimensions of that. But every social media platform had its own specific requirements for what size would be optimal. And then videos being set with pictures that would be a thumbnail for the video, that would have a requirement of, let's say, 1920 by 1080 to correspond with the format and size of the video. So there were all of these different social media and content dimensions being defined for photographers. And you either had to crop existing photos to fit into those dimensions, or if you were taking photos, you might take three or four or five or as many as you needed while envisioning those different 
layout constraints. So you might take a photo thinking, oh, this would be a great header for uh, Facebook or a great header for this website. And that might be a, an image that would be the equivalent of something like, instead of 8.5 by 11, it might be 3 inches by 11 inches or something. A very wide but not so tall image. So these were driving forces in shaping how photographers saw their work and thinking about what the outcomes would be and what the purpose was for the photography. There are obviously the traditional uh, photography demands of, you know, architecture or taking food photos that might be used for a restaurant website. But those also would be creatively laid out in some other way than the traditional 5 by 7 type of dimensions for a photo. It's possible that other technologies influenced people's expectations for portability. So there was a time when it would not be considered unusual to carry around a laptop computer that might weigh four or five pounds and be an inch and a half thick. And if your expectation is that your computer is going to be a heavy box that you need to lug around, then carrying around a big heavy DSLR camera would not seem like an unusual sacrifice. Some of the first cell phones that became available were quite large and heavy and might not even have a convenient way to carry it other than having it in a big bag. But as computers have gotten smaller to the point of the tablet being very light and slim and portable, and as smartphones, cell phones, have gone from being big, heavy bags that were carried around to something that was maybe a few pounds that you'd hold in your hand and now to something that would fit in a small shirt pocket, people's expectations have changed with regard to what they're willing to carry around with them. And so the DSLR camera, the traditional big heavy camera with extra heavy big lenses in a big camera bag, is this sort of odd accessory that looks like it belongs in the 1980s when everything else we have has become miniaturized. Of course, one of the challenges with reducing the size of a camera is not the miniaturization of the electronic components. That can be done, that's been done with smartphones. But the optics, the lenses, in order to let in more light, you might notice that more professional cameras, like a full-frame digital camera, will have a larger lens opening because the lens opening, when it meets the point of which it's being attached to the camera, that lens opening needs to be the size of the full-frame sensor that's inside the camera. So that sensor dictates the size of the lens and then the sheer science of you know having a larger lens that allows more light in 
that would be difficult to shrink down to the size of a smartphone, although we are seeing better and better lenses being put into smaller and smaller spaces and on smartphones. But this matter of the struggle between having high-quality lenses and the desire to have light portability has been one of the challenges facing photography. And if you think about where photography is practiced, where we take photos, it would be while hiking or while camping or biking or something like that. And when you are out in wilderness and wanting to take some nature photos, you probably don't want to carry around a bunch of heavy gear. So there's never been an option or a choice to do anything else. But if a person had a choice to just use their smartphone to take nature photos instead of a big, cumbersome DSLR, they would probably choose the smartphone. So that's a little bit of the context and the backdrop that we have social media influencing how we share photos. They're no longer printed. They're shared digitally. We have size and dimension constraints or expectations for different platforms. And certainly the smartphone and its ability to take a relatively good picture these days and instantly share it, that's something that's not easily available with bigger professional cameras unless you're connecting it to your smartphone and transferring and sharing that way. And what I had not mentioned yet is that in addition to all of those factors, there are software programs on smartphones that make it easy to edit and adjust photos and apply filters. So you can really do all of this in one device. And then it's sort of obvious that given the fact that there are these millions of smartphones out there that many of which can do a very good job of taking pictures, that people are shifting away from DSLR cameras and using smartphones increasingly, especially for snapshots. And a factor that kind of impacts photography as a culture or an activity or an industry is that it's sort of like when you grow up in a small town and you've done really well academically and in sports and you broke records for the local track team or whatever the case may be. And then you go to some major national university and suddenly it's you up against all these other smart, high-performing athletes, super intelligent people who are studying to be lawyers or doctors or something, and you're no longer like in the top of your class. You're suddenly seeming kind of average. So the same thing is true if you were 10 years ago or more, um, maybe even entering competitions like the county fair might have a photography competition or there might be some 
local or state competition, and you could really stand out because there aren't that many photographers in your local area that you're competing with. And so that's really changed. For anyone who's pursuing photography with some small measure of that being a source for feeding their ego of, you know, or being recognized, it need not be a negative thing. But if it's suddenly you and millions of other photographers and thousands and thousands of people showing up at the same national parks, standing in the same location, taking the same photos, very likely with the same equipment. Um, how is your photography going to stand out from the crowd? I remember on one occasion, I had, I, I was at a, a park in the Northwest and I was taking a photo of Mount Rainier and I had found just this great spot, which was like away from the parking area and this sort of odd angle, but just a wonderful place to take this photo, which I thought was going to be a unique angle. But of course, probably, you know, thousands of other people stood there before me. But even in that moment, I, I was taking the picture and somebody saw me take the picture and then they came over and took the same picture from the same spot with probably a nicer camera. So when we in the past would think of photography as, as being our own creative work, how now do we view that if there are so many photos that are almost identical? And it's funny, I've seen photos online that might look like something I've taken, and I have to look at it twice and think, was, was that one of mine? Because it was like a unique photo that I would have taken. And somebody else had the same idea probably years before I did. So, you know, there are those similarities as well. People have a similar photographic eye, think of taking the similar sort of pictures. And now we're all together, millions of photographers taking and sharing photos. But that societal community connection of photography has changed. And so the, the photo that you submitted at the county fair and you won the blue ribbon for might not seem as amazing when compared to these photographers who have spent their entire careers taking photos, using extra large format film, etc. And that's another factor is that as the technology advances, as the prices come down, maybe not to the point that you can afford it, but somebody else can afford it, there are people using really, really nice cameras with super nice lenses, extra large format digital sensors, etc. So a person really has to let go of certain aspects of photography, the sense of having an extremely unique photo, that'll still happen sometimes, but it's like finding cryptocurrency, a, bit, a Bitcoin or something. It's not going to happen as often. And this sense of the equipment that you have access to being some of the best equipment available, um, that may not be the case unless you have a lot of money invested. And for a lot of the really amazing photos, it's not about 
your skill necessarily or the equipment necessarily, but it's being at the right place at the right time and being in very unique locations around the world. I think of one of my most important camera accessories is my bicycle. My bicycle gets me to where like 90% of the photos are that I really enjoy. And so the bicycle is an accessory. Well, for some people, a jet airplane is a camera bag accessory. You know, they will fly off to Hawaii or they'll fly off to some remote European destination or someplace around the world and get these great photos that if you could climb the face of that 10,000 foot cliff or mountain or if you could go to that tropical island or whatever you know there are these amazing photos that are waiting to be taken and had and enjoyed but they will only be accessible to people that have a lot of free time and a lot of money so that's a an area of photography that some of us may not ever get to experience but anyway let me then go a little bit into detail with some of these areas that I've been talking about. So there was a point probably three years ago, at least that's when it would have been for me, when I began comparing my iPhone camera photos with my DSLR camera, and I started to notice that the iPhone was really, at that point, it was of high enough quality that the pictures, I would say, were equally as good at first glance, you know, shared on social media or just in a digital photo that you don't try to zoom in on or enlarge. The photos were really good and adequate for much of what I was trying to do. So at that point, I began carrying my larger camera is less. And by larger camera, I'm referring to, I, I would always have a mid-size camera with me that would be perhaps the dimensions of a three by five card and then uh, an inch thick or something. So a little bit chunky. There are these cameras that would fit tightly in a shirt pocket and they have these amazing telephoto lenses of like a 30x optical zoom with optical image stabilization. And as Sony would continue to come out with a new version of that same sort of design every three, four, five years, um, I would go ahead and upgrade to whatever the new design was. And I was really pleased with the photos that I could get with that camera, primarily because of the lens that it had, making it possible to take some really nice wildlife photography, birds way up in a tree, or whatever the case might be. These lenses that were very compact, that would retract into this shirt pocket camera, were just really impressive. And so it would be a, a really nice spot between using a smartphone camera and carrying around a big DSLR. 
So anyway, the iPhone technology got better and better. And I think I was willing to compromise a little bit, not significantly, but at that point I realized, you know, a lot of these photos that I'm just going to enjoy and share, they're not getting printed on poster size photo paper and being put in a gallery somewhere. They're just going to be shared on Facebook or through Twitter or Instagram or something. And timeliness became an issue where it was a photo of an event that people were interested in for the next, you know, five hours or the next day or two, and that was it. So it wasn't like a photo that's going to be of interest to anybody five, ten years from now. But anyway, I noticed that happening. The quality of the iPhone getting better and the needs, my perceived need to have, you know, really nice DSLR with me all the time, I began to let go of that as a necessity. And then most recently, the iPhone 11 Pro Max large screen iPhone is what I started using. And with these iPhones, you know, you can trade in your phone from last year and still get probably $400 for it. So if you were to calculate out kind of your monthly cost of ownership to be part of this iPhone and Apple ecosystem, you could say it's probably 30 or $40 a month to pay for the hardware. And you'll find that the phone companies offer a plan that's about 30 or 40 a month, and you can be leasing the phone for perpetuity and always trading in and getting the latest phone whenever it becomes available. So whether you buy a phone and then trade it in toward a new phone or rent the phone or whatever, the cost, out-of-pocket cost is about the same. Something that this new iPhone 11 Pro Max phone has offered me is what seems like a better camera. The camera hardware and photo processing software that's built in seems to be better than previous versions. And it has an additional lens that I really find I'm using quite a bit, which is an extra wide angle lens. Depending on how you have the camera pointed, like let's say you're taking a picture of some trees, if the trees are at a little bit of a distance and you're pointing your camera straight at them, they won't look very distorted. The photo might come out looking fairly natural. But if you're close to the trees and then you tilt your camera upwards, you'll start to notice the distortion in the shape of those trees they'll appear to be curved. The same is true really with just about any camera and lens. If you're taking pictures of tall buildings and you're pointing your camera at the top of the tall building, you'll notice other tall buildings around will seem to angle in one direction or another. So it's just the nature of how the 
photo is shaped with a certain lens unless you've corrected for that distortion. But um, anyway, I do like that ultra wide angle lens and it allows me to take some pictures that might otherwise just not be possible if I'm close to a building and there's no way to back up further because there's another building behind me, you can get some interesting architectural photos and some interesting nature photos where you want to include in a lot of your surroundings or provide extra context. And that was part of the presentation at Apple's annual product release announcement was they talked about the nice benefits of having that wide-angle lens. So if I wanted a similar experience with my DSLR camera, that would mean doing a lens swap because the lens that I would typically use would not have a super wide-angle perspective. And right now, for example, as I'm hiking on a trail, uh, there are bugs flying around and there's probably a little bit of dirt in the air and there's a mist uh, because it's kind of early in the morning and sort of an overcast, misty day. So I would not be doing lens swaps, reaching in my bag and pulling out a wide-angle lens and replacing the lens on my camera. Um, and so that's a very convenient aspect of this iPhone 11 Pro Max is that you don't need to do a lens swap and you have a telephoto lens and a sort of standard lens and this wide angle lens just at the touch of a screen all available simultaneously and that also works for video which i guess will be part of another podcast subject but that's that's how the the iphone as it's evolved has changed my approach to the physical equipment side of photography i generally when taking photos, I try not to apply too many artificial enhancements. I'll do what I can to adjust the light at that moment. Occasionally, if there are dramatic differences in lighting in one photo, I might use high dynamic range. But what I like to do is take a photo and as much as possible, just share it as it was taken. But sometimes there are photos where I do want to make a correction to the photo. There's one recently that I shared which came out looking so nice. I really liked it, except there are these high-power electric lines in the photo. And so while I normally would want to be true to representing uh, the landscape of a photo I'd taken, in that one I just wanted to get rid of those high-power electric lines and so I used a touch-up tool that's available in the photos software on my Apple computer. And then for that particular photo, wanting it to have an interesting sort of cartoon-like appearance, I applied a really dramatic filter that was not just like making it a little more green or blue or something. This was like turning it into almost like a painting or a drawing. I don't do that a lot and it can be sort of overused and people get bored of seeing too many of those kinds of photos, but it's fun from time to time. 
So these different software programs that let us edit in small ways and large ways, the photos that we're taking and sharing, those have really impacted photography for many people. And for those who maybe find themselves with equipment that isn't as good as they would like and photos in situations where the lighting wasn't what they'd hoped or they didn't quite get something framed in right, they need to crop it, adjust it, etc. The software programs are sort of like what auto-tune would be for a singer, you know. Others can start to have better and better looking photos even if they didn't quite have the skill or the the hardware available in the moment. And some people become so skilled with the software that that becomes a point of getting respect when somebody can show that they do such a good job at touching up photos and really creating some dynamic presentation of a photo. The focus becomes on the software and on their skills with the software rather than on the picture itself as it might have been in the original. When photography involved film and film photo processing, that really became kind of a, a slowing mechanism for many people to slow down their quantity of photos that they would take. Just because it takes time to process the photos and it also costs money or it would cost money to buy the film and to have the film processed and to carry around rolls of film. So it would be unusual to have, you know, thousands of pictures because most people wouldn't have the money to spend on thousands of photos to be developed. But now with digital photography, it's possible to take, as I mentioned earlier, you know, five different versions of a picture depending on how it's going to be used and to go ahead and just have thousands of pictures well then that becomes an issue or a challenge of how does a person organize their pictures how do they sort through them and if you have eventually you know tens of thousands of photos how do you find certain photos that you're looking for and how do you even begin to share that that's too much content for anyone to wade through so you'd have to pick like your favorite photo for the week or your favorite photo for the month assuming that people are going to want to look through your slideshow that was always a sort of comedic reference you would see this in movies and in tv shows where somebody wants to show their their vacation slides and gather everybody around to watch the slideshow and often they'd have too many slides that they wanted to share with people and while there'd be an interest in the first five or ten minutes eventually people would lose interest in watching uh, trays and trays of slides so similarly with photos when people are sharing their photos on social media there's this recognition that everyone else is out there posting 
text and posting videos and posting photos and everyone wants to get somebody to listen to them and pay attention to them and have them be at the center of attention for a moment. And so it's more effective to pick just a few photos that will draw attention rather than trying to share a thousand photos, which would be just too much for people to sit down and and look through. I talked a little bit about the changes in expectations for the size and dimensions of photos. By size, I mean sort of the measurements in pixels and not just the ratio of whether it's a, a wide panoramic shot or a portrait shot, but also then the actual file size. Anyone with their own website will likely be mindful of the size of the photos, the file size. Anyone with their own website who's sharing photos on their website or working on a website for someone else will certainly be mindful of the file size of the photos that are being used and shared. So it's common to optimize images for the web to ensure that the file size is small and that the images can be loaded and viewed quickly on a web browser. So that is another consideration with photography and another step that needs to be taken when sharing. And with that in mind, if a person is taking photos to be used on a website as a header, for example, there are at least what for me seem like unusual and new approaches to photography, which would be to take close-up images of a leaf or a flower or a stone or a piece of art or some object that you're so close to it, it becomes like an abstract photo or abstract painting. You, you can't really quite tell that it's a bark on a tree or a rock or whatever it might be. You, uh, the context of it is sort of lost. But there are many textures and images for photos that are really great for borders, backgrounds, headers, page breaks, all kinds of things like that. So the camera lens becomes this um, canvas that you can work on, and whatever you put into that viewfinder and however close or far away you go to create an effect that can become like a, a painting or something or a piece of art that you can use on digital media. And a more traditional approach to photography would be to properly frame something in, have a subject to your photo and share that way. It's been said that the best camera is the camera you have with you. And that's a way of saying that even if there is an amazing DSLR with an array of lenses that you have and you keep in a big camera bag. If it's too big and bulky for you to want to carry every day, then it's not really the best camera because you're not going to have it with you. So a pocket size point and shoot camera or the camera that's built into your smartphone really becomes a better camera because the form factor is such that you'll actually have it with you when you want to take 
that amazing photo. And that saying really summarizes in many ways the point that we find ourselves at with photography where people will have their smartphone with them and it will do a pretty good job of taking photos. So the smartphone really has become, for many people, the best camera. Well, we've reached the end of this episode. I appreciate you taking time to listen. Always appreciate the subscribes, comments, likes, shares, and look forward to sharing more with you again soon. Take care.